and welcome to Art is Cheaper Than Therapy, the Accessible Arts Podcast. I'm Alexandra, and this is the first full episode of the podcast, which brings us to a really interesting interview with an artist. From my experience, hearing directly from artists about their work is one of the best ways to bridge that gap between what sometimes feels like an exclusive industry and the real people who are actually behind the work that you see. Today, we're going to be speaking to David Popa. David Popa is an American artist from New York City who lives and creates art in Finland. He's known for using earth-based pigments such as charcoal to paint large-scale portraits on pieces of earth like ice fragments and islands that he then captures with drone photography and video. David is a super reflective guy who has thought a lot about his upbringing in art and how he ended up making this particular style of art. We talk about his father's secret graffiti past and my connection to him, um, his growing up in New York City, how he ended up in Finland, and the way he combines art with adventure and nature. What I do for these episodes is that there will be a blog post on my website containing all the images and works of art that we speak about. The link should be in the description of the podcast itself, um, but if you can't find that, it'll also be at alexandrakitgasharp.com, and that'll be the best way to conceptualize some of the things that David speaks about in this interview and kind of put an image to uh, the description. One term I want to highlight before we get into this interview, there's a word which David brings up several times that we didn't explicitly get to define in the episode, um, which is the idea of thin places. Thin places is originally a Celtic Christian term, which has been described as, quote, those rare locales where the distance between heaven and earth collapses, uh, end quote, by Eric Weiner, I think, Weiner and also as the places in the world where the walls are weak. In a 2014 Guardian article, the author says this, I'm not sure I want to know what brain scans tell us about thin places or how people respond to psychology questionnaires right after visiting the Grand Canyon. We're in the territory here of the ineffable, the stuff we can't express because it's beyond the power of language to do so. Explanations aren't merely useless, they threaten to get in the way. The experience of a thin place feels special because words fail, leaving stunned silence. Quote, anybody who goes through life with an open mind and open heart will encounter these moments of revelation, end quote, writes Roger Scruton, the philosopher, moments that are saturated with meaning, but whose meaning cannot be put into words. I've included that longer quote just because David and I speak a lot about his work, which seems to combine these breathtaking aspects of nature, spirituality, and his own personal journey in art. I think that many non-artists like myself may struggle to think about what it actually feels like to be an artist, and I think this is one of the best descriptions of that feeling. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did, Um, and if you want to know more about Thin Places, I'll also be linking the article that I quoted from in the show notes blog post as well. So without further ado, here's the interview with David Popa. Hi, David. Thanks for uh, coming to the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, hear, to be here. This is probably my first 
long form podcast. So just to start, uh, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, just who you are, a bit of your background and where you are now? Totally, totally. So I, I'm an artist that grew up in New York City. Um, my story sort of starts with my dad's story. He was one of the first graffiti artists back in the early 80s in New York City. And he had sort of this wild, kind of wild story and involved getting stabbed, almost dying. And um, art for him was sort of a salvation um, in his in his life for, you know, for many reasons. One, one of them was because he was a graffiti writer and he was involved in different kind of... Um, I guess activities, as you can imagine, getting stabbed and stuff. Um, he he found art to be sort of a something that could pull him out of the I guess the tough situation the you know the tough situation he was in um, growing up, and he sort of got obsessed with the classics. And so segue into when I was born. I also I have an older brother and a younger sister. You know our our walls would just be covered with. Uh, with paintings, especially like these classical paintings. And so as a kid, he would bring us to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And that was sort of very normal for us to go almost every weekend and to be like drawing from sculptures and bones and things. I I, I like vividly remember that there was a couple of times where we drew like Mickey Mouse or some superheroes, but that was like this one weekend. <laughs> and that was like, and we just, the, the exposure was all to this very high art. And I have all these drawings of bones <laughs> drawn when I'm six, seven years old. And so that's sort of the, that was like my childhood, um, along with a lot of other creative endeavors and things like filming movies. And um, and so as a kid, I, 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 I liked a lot of different things. One of the things that I, I just loved sports and I loved to move. And so sort of sitting down and doing like three hours of drawing was tough for me. Although I was clearly, I had, I don't know whether I had the gifting and the ability or because I was exposed to so much art because of my father. Um, but, uh, but growing up, it was something I just continued to do. And it was something that I did throughout, throughout middle school. And then I got into a specialized high school called LaGuardia Arts High School. It's, and, and it was the way to get into a, a good high school and and then following that get into a a a decently good college um i went to gordon college and and so the trend was sort of like using my art ability to get into a good high school and get into a good college but i actually did not anticipate to become a professional artist at all that was not something that was that i really wanted to do and that the main thing was because i felt like there wasn't enough movement in it like I, I just I couldn't stand sitting down for a long long period of time, and I felt like, you know, I had sort of a, in a sense therapy for 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 me as a young you know teenager. You're just going wild was to move, and so if I couldn't move, it just you know art just didn't seem to equate to something that I I would be able to do long term. So uh, I guess that's a that's a brief overview of from, yeah, as a kid to college. But then in college, I discovered with a buddy of mine, we were we were sort of expressing these kind of, the, the, the kind of woes of uh, doing fine arts and the fact that you're working so hard in the studio setting. And then you have this one opportunity to show the work in a gallery setting where people, you know, sip on, sip on wine and munch on cheese. And, and, and most of the time it's like, 
you know that people are there for the snacks and not for the art. And it just felt like, <laughs> it just kind of felt like, is this really where we want to go with things? And we sort of sort of had these kind of wilder ideas of like, you know, is this, is, is this the only opportunities that we could have as artists? And we ended up, um, and so I, the reason I bring up my father early on as an early graffiti writer is because the story kind of comes full circle in which I discover these legal walls that graffiti artists would go and, and do these pieces on. But basically anyone could go and do a mural on. And it was right 15 minutes away from my college, Gordon College, in Wenham, Massachusetts. And so when I got to this wall and started using spray paint, again, like that was the initial medium that my dad used when he was, what, 14, 13 years old, like things, like a whole world unfolded to before me because the fact that now when you're doing a large scale mural, there's movement involved. You got to finish the piece before, really before the sun goes down. And then furthermore, someone could come the next day and paint over you. So all of a sudden it was like, I was involved with so many sports growing up. And so like, and, and, and also exploration and things of that nature. And then, as I mentioned briefly, like filming, and doing, we did movies as a kid, all of a sudden, all of that merged into this one genre, right? Because you had to take photos and videos of the work because someone could paint over it, and which often that's what happened. And so all of a sudden, I was like thrown into, you know, a, a whole nother world. And then, and then art clicked for me, right? Like before it was just a skill, right? I can mm. draw something realistically, I can paint something. But then it was like, wait a second, I can actually express an idea which like seems so obvious, like, duh, David, that's what art is for. But maybe because of the fact that, and I'm not throwing my dad under the bus, but because like when you're drawing bones as a six-year-old kid, right? That's just such a, that's just a technical performance. There's, it's not an expression. And that's not to say I didn't have times where I felt like I was expressing myself, but, uh, but yeah, all of a sudden the whole world opened up and um, and doing murals ended up opening up doors. So I ended up traveling to Finland one summer and it was really just very random. I was a friend at college. He said his brother was living there and we did a quick Google search and it was a buddy of mine that loved kind of the art that I was doing and the murals. And he was like, look, in Finland, there are all these legal walls you can paint there. And so I ended up hopping on a flight and um, for three weeks being in Finland and and, and doing sort of a, a a series of street art pieces. But during that time, I ended up meeting, um, well, my now, my, my wife. And so I ended up falling in love when I moved there to, to, to a girl. And, and this was, so I would have been in at the summer of my, um, of my senior year. So going into my senior year of college. And then it was, um, yeah, I finished my senior year and I, I just decided I would move to Finland. And um, and that was a wild sort of, I, I guess it was only so surprising. It was only until I moved that I was like, I think I could actually become a professional artist. Like it never occurred to me before, even though it was like I had literally I was majoring in painting. It only occurred to I was really like set on being a gym instructor or, so, or something. And so, so moving to Finland, it was like, then things really sort of shifted. It was, it was kind of a weird series of events. The, the key one was actually taking a road trip up to, up to Norway. And if anyone's been to Norway, especially like Western, the, yeah, Northwest Norway, it's a specific area called Lofoten Islands. It's possibly the most beautiful place in the world. Many 
nature photographers say it's the most beautiful place in the world. And I went up there with my wife and all these things started to click for me. In order to do work in the natural context, I had to find a way to use paint or materials that were completely natural. And I didn't really know what was in paint. Like I just, I just use paint like anyone, grab acrylic oil. You just think of the medium and what it's good for. You don't think what the constituents are inside paint. And so it was this really amazing realization when I researched, for example, the cave painters and realized they were just using chalk, charcoal, and these earth pigments. And so like Googling, like what are earth pigments? And it was just this whole world unfolded. And so I ended up, you know, basically kind of making my own, a bit my own medium. I, I guess I don't, I don't think many other people use solely for example charcoal and water or chalk and water and i place it in this like garden sprayer and i kind of fix it up so that i can spray it which is very similar to the spray paint i was using with murals in the urban context and i end up sort of developing my own i guess body of work in which i'll do large-scale murals on the ground and via a drone that's where you can actually see um the entire work revealed and so that was a huge process to get to that point um, and, and, but as soon as I was, did the first piece, it's, it, everything clicked for me. Um, and it was, yeah, this unbelievable, yeah, it was an unbelievable feeling. I mean, you could ask my wife before that, it's like every single night I'm coming home and I'm like having an artist crisis about why it is that I'm working and, you know, what I'm doing as an artist, what technique or style could I use to like, you know, set myself apart. And so... It was very interesting, the fact that it was a, a sort of a reverse, like as artists, we're tr constantly going outside of ourselves to find inspiration, but this was like going inside myself and, and going, wait, as a kid, I love nature as a kid, you know, I, I made these movies with my, my brother and, and you actually go to your childhood to find the secrets and sort of the trail of breadcrumbs to find what you're supposed to do now. And so currently right now, I, that's what I sort of do full time, which is kind of crazy to to say that I do these ephemeral works of art. Um, and my most recent series, which is probably what I'm most known for, is I did a series on the ice and specifically on like ice flows that are sometimes moving and cracking as I'm working on them. And so, um, so that's the story. <laughs> Sorry, that was so long. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you for sharing that. And there's things that we will delve into deeper. But I just wanted to start with your childhood. It was for you a crucial part of, of you realizing what you're going to do. Um, I have a lot of questions about your dad. Um, and for, you know, the people listening to this podcast, they don't know, uh, you know, my background that much in depth either. So just for them. Um, so I, I have not never met you in real life, but I have met your father, um, because, uh, he was my art teacher in school in seventh and eighth grade. So this was like, uh, for, for the UK viewers, it's like when you're like 12 and 13, <laughs> um, and you know, full disclosure, I am not an artist at all, but I am, I've always been a bit of a creative. Um, and I'm, I'm distinguishing those just to say that I think that your father was probably just constantly slightly annoyed by me in art class because I, I just so like, I had no background in art. I had, I was so bad at like drawing and it just like, wasn't what I was familiar with. And like you said, like he was, he was really like ingrained in this like classical style of, you know, we, we would spend like a whole class on like columns and, you know, we were going to be really good at, at drawing like Greek 
architecture. And part of me really appreciated that, but I was also like, I can't draw a circle, so I don't know how to do this. So I would, I, what I would always do is I would put some sort of weird twist on it. So I would, I would draw the columns, I would draw the Greek architecture, but then I would like make it into the lost city of Atlantis and like put random fish in it and make it all underwater. Um, or we were, we were learning how to practice like portraits. And I think he was, he was trying to teach me that like drawing like a, a baby's face is very different than drawing drawing a an adult's face and I was so fed up by the end of it that I like put the baby behind bars and made it in jail like I I don't know if your father will remember any of this but I have vivid memories of this in in art class in New York <laughs> oh my gosh this is uh, absolutely hilarious <laughs> so that's it so you basically but, yeah. you know you felt my I mean this is kind of my childhood to some degree <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's that, like, when when you're a child, like, you don't fully appreciate, like, you're getting this, like, classical education. You're learning how to draw like no one else can. So I'm just wondering, I mean, you hinted a bit at, um, you know, getting kind of tired and fed up with, like, sitting still and having to, to draw for a long time. But what was that sort of like to, you know, to be your father's son? And, like, did, did you appreciate it at the time? Were you kind of, like, annoyed? Was it something you found fun? Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. That's a really good question. I mean, well, okay, so simply put, of course, if you're, as a kid, like, at a young age, I was able to sort of render and draw things realistically, and you immediately get attention for that, right? Your school teachers, your like your classmates, you immediately are getting this attention. And so you, you put two and two together and you're like, okay, I guess the, the, the art stuff my dad's teaching is making me special and I'm getting love from that. And now I feel good, right? Like that's the base of it. And so like we'd go to museum and draw yeah. and I just loved when people looked over my shoulder and, and be like, yeah, like I'm only 10 and look what I'm drawing. But it was just a, mm. a sort of a vanity thing, right? It was just sort of a flex. It was like, look what I can do. And then when it was done, it was like, like, let's go play football. Let's go run around and do something like I don't want to sit around and draw. And so, um, so then, you know, uh, of course, then going into high school and stuff, there was, yeah, I was, I was like really, I was in, so into sports at that time I was doing men's gymnastics, which like I started so late. And so it was like six days a week we were training and during summers I was just like training all the time, but my dad would pull me into his studio sometimes and in New York, he's got this really cool, really cool studio in Queens. And so I'd be like training and then I'd, I'd come in and just be frustrated as, as heck to like do these class. I mean, I would basically, yeah, we'd be doing these multi-figure compositions and just realize how insanely tough it was, but then realize that like there was no one else. Cause I was in high school at that time. There was no one else that was getting trained on this kind of level. And so then I would go into high school and then again, it was a flex thing where I would like go to my painting class and there was just like, there was a clear difference in skill level. And it was mostly because of also the, I think the curriculum of a lot of, you know, the, of a lot of art schools and class at the time was was about sort of, you know, being able to, it, it, it wasn't emphasized, the, the technical aspects wasn't really emphasized, right? It wasn't, and so to have that and to be able to have that in my toolbox, um, yeah, you know, I got attention for it. Right. And so it was like, yeah, this stuff that my dad's teaching me is pretty cool, but it, I just couldn't put two and two together. That I could really try to express things, you know, and I think it was, it was very interesting that it was, it was mainly the physical aspect. The fact that I had to, you know, if I was working on a larger painting immediately, it was better, you know? And so like in high school, I would just like, 
I would tell the teacher, like, can I bring a, a slightly larger canvas? And they're like, well, how large does this thing have to be? And so, and I would just like <laughs> force my way to like get a really large piece of canvas and like fight with teachers often. And um, I actually butt heads with a lot of teachers just because I just was kind of very restless and I wanted to, you know, yeah, do things that I guess weren't, wasn't really quite the status quo. And it was mainly because of the size. Like I just wanted to do things that were bigger because I wanted to move. It was really quite simple. It wasn't mm. really all that complicated. So your your dad has this kind of background as a street artist. And I, I didn't know that he was stabbed. That's news to me. <laughs> um so what, what did you, is this something you kind of knew all in your childhood that he had this kind of background? Was it something that was like a revelation, a surprise to you? I, I think I didn't know until after I left school. I think at some point I was just Googling people and I found some random article about it and I was like, there's no way. Yeah. So um, that's such a good question. So basically because of the, those events, those were all sort of that childhood. So you know, being, and so he was one of the, really one of the first graffiti writers ever in New York City. I mean, there was a, there, the, the first graffiti writers all, most of them all went to sort of the same school, the School of Art and Design, which is labeled something else now in New York, but it was sort of this, they were all kind of in the same class. They were around 13, 14 years old. And, um, and so during that, during that period of time, so like his story is basically like he he would of course he would he, you have to steal the paints first you have to steal a spray paint you have to jump over the gated you know that barbed wire fences and you were often chased by dogs and if you were doing it enough the police like would notice who what your tag name was and so his tag name was Conan like Conan the Barbarian I don't know if anyone knows that comic book character but that was his sort of that was his uh, yeah that was he was sort of building his own mythology essentially he was like a bodybuilder at that time too and so he was like this tough guy and so one day the police officers like just followed the name conan from the train station and just saw conan conan and then like on the building that he lived in there was this conan all over the place and they were like he lives here <laughs> and so they they basically busted him in his room and they were like you're conan we can see everything like all the evidence is here and they like challenged him and they were like you were never going to be a great artist. You're just going to be addicted to graffiti your whole life. And he took that as a challenge. And then he sort of put graffiti behind him. And so when, when I was a kid, it was all in a black book at the back of the closet. It was all like hidden. And so mm. I think the first time I even saw some of his graffiti stuff, I was m probably older. I was probably seven years old or so where I was like, dad, what? Because we love to play hide and seek in the closet. And all of a sudden there was a, we just opened up and there was all this colorful stuff. And it was like, oh, colors. This is not bones. <laughs> I'm not drawing the pelvis. Like, <laughs> dad, like, why don't you teach us how to do graffiti? And there was some other stuff. There's some like more inappropriate drawings that were in there. And so he was like, don't look at that. That was, that's, that's the old me or something. And so it was just this kind of wild story. And I, I guess I could have never have imagined that like my story came full circle to which like, I don't know. I think a lot of the work that I do now has, you know, pretty major connections with with graffiti so like when i go out and do a piece you know i i'm running away from the elements right like essentially i'm going out and if and a storm comes or like the ice is cracking like it's not the police that's chasing me it's the elements that are trying to pull me away or wipe my my, my work out and so the same type of so that's where it gets addictive like that's why graffiti is so addictive and why so many people because of the sort of yeah, the ephemeral nature of it. And so, 
it's pretty fascinating how it all connects. So did you ever, did he ever actually teach you how to use spray paint, how to do any graffiti? Or was that all kind of like, that's my past. We're just going to focus on, I guess, you know, legal art. <laughs> he had these markers and he had from back when he was a kid and they just, I don't know, the kind of markers, I, I, don't, I forget what they're specifically called, but the markers that smell like crazy, these alcohol-based markers that were just like, as kids, you're like, let me smell some more of those markers. Like, and he was like, no, like, don't smell the markers just a little bit. Like, but I just remember those, those markers and we were doing, teaching us some very basic stuff, but really kind of like pushing us away from that direction. What was funny was that in, in college, yeah, early, early in college, he actually visits a graffiti wall. So this is, um, so this must've been, uh, who this, I guess 12 years ago ish, he visited a graffiti wall. I wasn't there. He just visited a wall and saw all these guys doing because it was near his studio and he's sort of asking like why they had these different caps he really had no connection to the graffiti world and he starts talking to some of the guys there and and they're like why are you asking so many questions like who are you like he's probably dressed up in a polo like doesn't look really street <laughs> <laughs> like like who are you he's like oh i used to do graffiti when i was a kid and he's like okay like what was your name and he's like i wrote conan and like everyone pauses and they all look at him and they're like, the legend Conan. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they were like, everyone thought that like that was sort of a, like an enigma where like this guy wrote Conan and then died because he stopped all of a sudden. And they didn't know that the police caught him and stuff and that he ended up to, he wanted to be a class, you know, he totally went in another direction. <laughs> so, so then he sort of like, so his recent body of work is very interesting. It's called Classical Dreams in which he's merging He's merging the classics and he uses spray paint and markers and stuff he used as a kid and he merges them now in one in, yeah, in one style and one genre, sort of um yeah, merging the past and the present. So it's 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 a it's a wild story. Yeah. So when you started getting into to street art, was there any sort of reaction to that? See, that's where like there ha like I say no because I at the time I remember like I didn't I wasn't making any real connections. It was like it was like, oh, let's let's get out of here. Oh, let's just use spray paint. Let's go do it on a piece of cardboard. That was like my idea. But it was at, at that same time that my dad was playing around with stuff. And and, and he's, he basically did a couple of pieces at that graffiti wall because they invited him. They were like, Conan, you got to do a piece. So like subconsciously, it must have like triggered me where I was like, oh, that's like an, that's a, that's a medium that I could use. But like, I remember being at the wall with him and he would work on a piece and it was like, Dave, do you want to help me like, prime the wall? Like, and I would be like, prime the wall, like, whoa, really? Like, it was just such a, like, I could have never imagined I myself would have started to do mm. things like that. So it must have, there's no, I, there's no way I could say it, it didn't have an effect, but not a direct effect. I was like, I like messaged my dad, I was like, dad, by the way, I'm starting to do some pieces with spray paint stuff. He's like, oh, I, I don't even know if he really encouraged it. It was sort of like, <laughs> oh, don't waste too much of your time, Dave. Like, what exactly are you doing there? <laughs> So what you eventually, so you go to LaGuardia, which uh, the people who are not from New York probably don't know what that is, but it's a performing arts and fine arts and music kind of high school that you kind of test into. And then you go to college. You, you're also, you studied, did you study painting yeah, in college? Yeah, I majored in painting. I just went with what I was good at. Yeah. And then you, you kind of randomly go to Finland and you end up moving to Finland. So... 
just, I mean, any whether you're in Helsinki, I mean, it's literally five, 10 minutes away, you could find yourself in a beautiful, you know, in, in, in nature. It was so weird to be like, wow, I'm central Helsinki right now. And then boom, 10 minutes later, hop in a car and then be somewhere in the middle of the forest. And so that was, that was incredibly inspiring. And so when I talk about merging the work and finally doing these large scale works, it was because you know, it was because of Norway. And then furthermore, we went on a little, one of our friends had a, had a boat, a small boat. And then we went on a boating, sort of just went around because Finland is known for its archipelago, these islands that are just in islets all scattered all over. I mean, there are thousands of them. And so, you know, it was cool. We had a friend had a small boat, went around the boat, and I noticed all these islets and islands. And I was just like, oh man, like, it, that's where like the mysterious aspect of being an artist and life and everything sort of comes to a head where you're like, how did I end up being in this country? And how did I end up meeting this girl? And now I'm here living, you know, living here and I'm, you know, I, you know, I had the birth of my first child around that time. Um, and, and then you're just out boating and they're like, so one of the things in my work, I guess, and I'm a, sort of a believer in is, is is the concept of thin spaces. So thin spaces is, and it could be thin space, like moments in time. So an example could be like the birth of your child, right? It's just like this miraculous, incredible experience. But I also found that being in nature and specifically on these islands was this very deeply, like it's, it's not something I could even describe right now for you. Um, being on these like granite rocks that are, out in the middle of the water, you know, life can be so, so complicated. And so we're just being pulled more than ever before, especially with you know, our smartphones and social media and all this. And being, we went on this small boating trip and that led me to go to one of these small islets and islands and this very sort of mysterious feeling presence came over me. And it was like, I have to, try to find a way to make work in this space in nature. And it like, when you have those experience happening to you so strong that like, I'd literally be crying and I don't even understand what, like why that's happening. Then like the, then when, when we talk about art and we talk about like the vocation of being an artist and the meaning behind that and the mystery behind that. Um, and it's like I said, it's not something I even try to do. Um, once those pieces like sort of aligned um, and I felt those, the feeling of being out, I guess, in these, uh, mysterious thin spaces in nature, then all of a sudden it took on, yeah, it was, it didn't, it wasn't at all about how do I like make a living or sell this work of art or do I get into a gallery or like, what will people think about me? It's like trying to fulfill a purpose. I'd love to talk to you about your, your artistic process and actually creating these pieces. Um, I mean, I guess to, I guess you can start where, where you'd like, but I think the thing I'm most curious about is how much planning goes into it. Do you kind of have a place in mind and then plan around that, or is it completely kind of you just kind of show up and make do with with what you have? Yeah, what what is kind of your process in creating these pieces? It started out. I assumed that if once you know when I started this, that I would have to have a lot of careful planning. I would have to, you know, scout a lot of different locations and I would, you know, initially fly the drone up and take photos and then head back 
to my studio or home and sort of you know use different photo references and Photoshop them and just see like what fits in the context. And and the first time I did that, you know, I was set on what I wanted to create. And I, I show up and this is my very first piece and I wanted to create a portrait of my wife. And I show up and it was a beautiful day and people were hanging out on the islet that I wanted to do my work on. <laughs> and so that was like the first lesson. And and I would soon take, I mean, I would soon learn that, for example, now when I do my series on the ice, you don't ever think you can show up to a spot, take a photo and, you know, and, and, and go back and plan something. If you have an <laughs> opportunity, you better take advantage of it right now because anything could happen. And so I ended up real. And then in other projects, I ended up like planning so hard and then coming to a space and then not feeling right about it. It was sort of very bizarre. It would be like really trying to be as sensitive as possible to my intuition. And I'd be at a spot and I just felt like, this is not right. This doesn't feel right. And then I could fly the drone up and be like, what about that island over there? And so at this point in time, I have like a, I have a paddle board and that's how I go to these different islets and things. So I'm mobile and so let's go to another islet. And then often what will happen is right there on location, I will take a photograph of of the islet or the ice or whatever place I'm on. And I have a sort of a bank of images, whether it's my own photography or some other photos I've picked out of magazines, Pinterest, all these different, um, all these different, you know, different, I think, I guess, inspirations. And um, I have a bank of it. And I, I guess I try to just slot in what feels right at that location. Mm. And if I, I, I will literally gauge the project based on if I am close to breaking down and crying. That's how strongly I have to feel about the piece. And if I'm not feeling that mm. strong about it, like it's it's not quite right. And so that's how strong intuitively. And during this process, I, I, I like I'm listening to music, like I'm really entering into a whole nother modality and a whole nother space and a whole nother world and really quiet the thinking mind as much as possible. And, and so as, so the stronger I'm intrinsically motivated, so that's, that's why I'm trying to like gauge it emotionally to even the fact that I will cry because the stronger I'm intrinsically motivated by it, then the deeper into like a flow state I can enter and the stronger the piece becomes, it's all like a, uh, yeah, it's, it all, you know, it all works upon each other. And so, um, so yeah, so essentially it, to answer your question, like I could show up to a spot and then, and start making the work and it has to be done in literally three, four hours, especially on the ice. And I'll have no idea what I'm creating that day. So, and, and that's because of the medium. So what's amazing about the medium is I have these, you know, garden sprayers and it's just charcoal and water, but it sprays so wide and the pieces are so big that like, it takes just as much time to do a small watercolor sketch so often that it does doing a large piece, it's just about the, it's just about the medium. If you have a huge sprayer, you know, then you can make it happen on a, you know, even though it looks, yeah, even though it's so large. They are massive pieces. I, I noted this when I saw one of the, the drone videos where you're, you're in it and then it, it slowly starts rising up and zooming out and you just realize how small you are on this massive painting. Um, so you're, I mean, now I'm picturing you there with like your paddleboard. I mean, you must have to carry a lot of stuff with you. And are you like, are you just kind of, I mean, I guess you've done pieces in different places. 
Is it mostly you're kind of going around on water to, to try to find these things? Are you ever like doing any climbing? What, what is sort of the, the adventure side of this? The event, which, so that was also like a key, that was the fact that you say adventure. Cause that's really what I, that's what I wanted. I didn't mention briefly and, and cause my, my life story went on way too long, but I was also like at various times. So like when I was in high school and college, so in college, I actually did a minor in outdoor education and I went to Colorado. And so I was into like exploration and adventure, but my number one, number one question was like, why does one even go and climb the mountain? Like, why do, why do these explorers push themselves to the limits just to, to explore something? And I couldn't quite come to terms with that. And so when I ended up making this work of art, it was like, I was like, yeah, I'm an adventure artist. Like I'm going to these locations to see if I can, you know, create these pieces that can hopefully emotionally, you know, touch and impact and people in the world around me. And so with that being said, you know, it started with just like you go in water, some of these nearby islets, you just go waist deep and I'm bringing everything in waterproof bags. And then it evolved into taking a paddleboard out and then it evolved into like going out when it's icy even and taking a paddleboard out in the winter with a full dry suit, which is like everyone still thinks I'm crazy to do, but it's, it's rather safe. And then it has evolved into like full expeditions where I'm going on to glaciers in the deep in the Nordic wilderness. And so it just kind of keeps evolving, but it's not really just for the sake of the challenge. That's important, but it's really, I'm trying to get to these amazing locations, right? And so I'm just trying to get to the best spots where I feel like I can express what I want to express. So I'd love to talk specifically um, about, I think your most recent series, Fractured. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, and I've already, I think, you know, talked about about it a bit, at least this work on the ice, but, you know, it, it's it's like I mentioned when I was, the very first piece I did, I was out boating with friends and I had the idea. And so it's kind of a similar thing where I was like with my family and my wife was like, let's go, you know, it's winter time and let's go to this beautiful place and, and I'm, I'm there with my two kids and the ice had, you know, from the, 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 the Baltic sea, which is, you know, right there. I'm, cause I'm located in Finland, the Baltic sea, the specific area that we went to that freezes over, but because of the tides and de depending on if it warms, it will crack. And so we, I went there and I was just playing around with the kids and the ice was just, it was just unreal it like had fractured in a way where you can jump from ice flow to ice flow. And I was like, are you kidding me? And and that year before that, I had gone to Greece and done a piece called Prometheus in which I was really fascinated by the idea of doing these, because the concept is, is as if I'm unearthing something, right? And so when there's fracturing elements, so in Prometheus, there's, you know, the head of Prometheus and it's fracturing as if it was, you know, sort of a sculpture broken and uncover like an archaeologist. And so I I just put two and two together and I was like, could I do that piece on the ice? And so long story short, I actually tried to do it multiple times in various times of the winter and I totally failed because it's, yeah, it's kind of a daunting task to do and you have to find the right temperature. And so, but um, like most of my projects, I just kind of like put myself in the, in the mindset of a child. Like I'm not really, I'm trying not to think too much about what does this mean and what are the, deeper aspects of this work. It's like, shoot, I have the potentiality to jump on these floating pieces of ice and create a work of art. This is just <laughs> cool. It's just cool. And then and then you enter in the space. And as I talked about these sort of thin spaces, and then when I'm working and I'm in, I'm in, in a flow state and the music is on and you're like in another world, 
all of a sudden, like these, all these deeper elements start speaking to you. And so the fractured series, I was doing these portraits and I, I just try to find an ice flow that would stay together. But I realized that when you're working on it, almost every single one that I had done fractured in half. And I would have to jump in the water and I was trying to put them back together. And I sort of started to realize what a picture for, for, I guess, the human story. Like we live in a fractured, broken world and we're trying to, we're trying to make beauty and we're trying to, you know, love. I'm, I'm trying to love my wife, my kids as much as much as possible, but we're failing in these endeavors and we're trying to put these pieces back together. And a lot of time it's not working. And so that's what I, I was doing. I was trying to put these pieces back together. And I was just like, go home, Dave. Like, it's over. And then I flew the drone up. And then I realized there was this exquisite beauty to be found amidst the fracturing. And at that exact same time, so being so close to the Ukraine conflict here in Finland, like, so many people are talking about it. I mean, like, the, you know, the relationship between Russia and Finland, I mean, yeah, it's her, my, my wife's uh, grandfather fought in the war. So it was like that, that conversation was happening at the same time I was working on the series and not to mention, of course, the climate situation we're in. So it's just like, there are all these ways that you can point to the fractured state that we're living in. And it was sort of just incredibly mysterious because I take, I just take no credit for like the end result in the work. And it was amazing how, how the work has touched so many people and, and people, you know, see, see it in, di in different ways. And, and to just sort of like allow as artists to like re release the stress and pressure to make anything, make anything profound and great and just allow our guiding star and our sort of childish muses, like follow us into unknown lands. And, and then mm. And then from the adventure and the journey, pull and extract the deeper meanings behind it, right? And so we can relax as artists, like don't have, don't have to have it all figured out, but we have to have the faith to venture out and follow, you know, follow our true north, follow our guiding star, however way you want to put it. So you mentioned music. What, what kind of music are you listening to during this? Let's <laughs> complete the image. <laughs> so this goes back to my dad. I mean, I, I listen to vari various things, but but I will always come 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 back to if I really need to enter into a flow state. So so my dad, he would, you know, I would come home from school and he would listen to a lot of things, uh, soundtrack music, classical music, but believe it or not, he was a lot of the times listening to like progressive trance techno music. <laughs> and so, you know, as a kid, you're just like doing my homework. And then like, I'm listening to this like progressive, like this to trance music. And, you know, in, in a trance album, generally these progressive like albums, like there's, it's progressive, right? And so it picks up and there's no, you know, there's no ending to these tracks and it allows you to get into this amazing flow state. And so, I actually, like, I never was one to go to clubs or party in college. I just, like, I probably have never even been to one. I was just doing sports and, and art and, and whatnot. And so it's funny when people, like, listen to the stuff I listen to. They're like, this just reminds me of the clubs I used to go to. And I was like, I just remember coming home from school and seeing my dad in a flow state listening to this music. And so I will very often listen to these albums that I, that my dad would play when I was a child. Yeah, and I, I could see how how that 
listening to the kind of music that your dad would listen to while you're in this, I guess, this thin space that is breathtakingly beautiful would kind of channel that that childlike those childlike thoughts because you know you 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 heard it as a child um yeah and you you seem like someone who is very like self-reflective and like you seem very aware and like comfortable with emotion you talk about like getting to the verge of tears and that's how you know that you are are that that's the piece and that's where it should go I'd love to hear if you have any anything to say about that like what do you do you just do you think that you kind of grew up comfortable with like talking about that kind of emotion side? I think I'm just asking this from a place of it's just really cool and I think unique to see like a male artist especially kind of be just very open about art and emotion. And you obviously still have this like very adventurous, you know, sport side of you, but there's also this like artistic you know, tender, emotional side of you. So yeah, I just love to hear if you have anything about that. It's a good question. I mean, like, yeah, like what could you do to foster, to foster that? It's a good question. I mean, like I, I just finished my last sentence talking about this guiding star. So that's like what, like when, before I moved to Finland, my dad, so as I mentioned, so he went to an art school during the time he was going doing graffiti and and even went to our, you know, Pratt Institute in, in college. And there was one of his teachers, I can't remember if it was in college or high school, that really poured into my father, who was actually a descendant of, or like a great, great grandson of like Rodin, the famous French sculptor. And he, apparently my dad was like the only person that really took the information in. And he looked at my dad and he said, like, there is like, there are worlds ready to come out of you, Albert. And you have you have to pursue your guiding star. So when I, before I left to Finland, my dad tells me the story and my dad starts crying in front of me. The only other time I saw my dad cry in front of me was when his father passed away. So like, that was like this barometer where it was like, what's the guiding star? Like, what do you... And I couldn't really figure that, I couldn't, like, what, what does that even mean? And it was the secret, right? And so, so then when I finally, you know, it, fine, I say finally, because it took me quite a few years, like four years before, before I started this body work and nature and things clicked where I, I was, I could be sort of like brave enough to be like, you know what? Like, I don't like painting the studio. I want to be out in nature. I want to be out on adventure. Like I want to do photo and video and to like give yourself permission to do the things that you're like, to, to do things that you feel led to do. And so, and so it was like, yeah, I mean, as, as you could, this is probably the theme of almost this talk is like, I don't know. I mean, I, of course, I'm very privileged to have had a father like that and, you know, to, to, you know, whether it was intentional or not sometimes to have fostered that that kind of power. I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say also because like, so for example, my great grand, my, my grandparents were ballet dancers. My grandfather was a professional ballet dancer. My grandmother's a ballet dancer. And my great grandfather from my side of France was, was a, a professional artist. So it was like, when I'm out there, sometimes I feel like I'm just, you know, standing on the shoulders of like my generation past. And that gets me very emotional, right? Like mm -mm. you're not even there for, of your own accord. So that's when I also talk about thin spaces. It's like a destiny thing. And it's like, 
you you can't just do another random piece willy-nilly like it's it's gotta be from the depths of yourself that's what art is and 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 if it's not from there like you're not going to be able to touch anyone you have to touch yourself for, like you have to be able to move yourself first before you're going to be able to move anyone else with your work and so anyways i don't know if that answers it at all yeah. but no th those are are some things that i feel like i just want to go away from this and think about more um so thank you for sharing that um people i think have been very receptive to the art you're creating um what what are some of the the reactions that you get from from people who who see your art yeah we'll start with the with the cons because as, as artists we always like we always remember the bad things people tell us about our art so the first thing is maybe the obvious if you see my work and you're seeing these you know, large-scale works being done in in nature on nature on rocks like directly in nature and since there's there's i think me and there's another there's some very few land artists that do these sort of large-scale works with natural materials and so the the obvious conclusion that people come to is that you're using just like you're using spray paint or normal paint all right and there is an understanding of you know that you could actually use completely natural materials i even make the case of the argument when i doing the ice series i use charcoal so charcoal specifically active charcoal but charcoal in general is a water for purification method that's literally what is used for it absorbs toxins and things of that nature and so when it goes I, I i don't know if i could probably make a valid case for this but when it goes back into the water it it does have the opportunity to absorb bacteria and things like that and so i say all this to say that like there is a, a fair amount of people that are just they just don't they're like wait like you can't just use paint and so that will be a barrier to them experiencing the work and then i share well actually it's charcoal or it's earth and and then it's like oh wow i yeah. And, and then they're it goes more away in the rain. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's totally ephemeral. It's chalk. It's what cave painters used, right? So, you know, it's totally natural, yeah, substances. And um, so that's one side of it. And then the people that, of course, and a lot of it is like, just read the description, right? Because my work is sh <laughs> shared so much. And then people share it and they don't mention the materials that I use. And so then it's, but anyways, it, it's been, yeah, it's been very, very interesting to to see that people have such a strong visceral reaction. There are people that, so as I mentioned, since I'm listening to music and it's so much of the experience is sort of a world building experience, um, a main part of how I'm sharing the work is through the medium of video. And so I'm putting a specific soundtrack and the sound design. And so it's a, supposed to be a really kind of an immersive experience. Now, generally I'll also create a short film. And so a lot of times, yeah, people will watch the short films, which again, like, I am like put through, I'm an emotional wreck when I'm editing these short films. I'm really pouring my entire being into it. And so not, of course, not nearly everyone, but there's a, there's a select percentage that will watch the video and watch a short film and will, will, yeah, will be also led to tears and be very emotionally moved by the work. And that's just, of course, that's always the highest compliment, right? Is someone can feel it, you know, to the level of their, you know, the deepest parts of themselves. And so... So yeah, people see it through their a very different lens. Artists sometimes will look at it through their own lenses where there it's like, okay, what are the materials? How do you make it that big? And it's sort of these technical questions and other people that are non-artists are just experiencing it. Um, yeah, and, and they're open to interpret the work in their own way. And that's really interesting to, to hear these different interpretations of the work. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that 
that that people have been receptive because it's super scary. The first time I shared the work, I was very afraid to share it because it was like it's like that was where I felt like this is like it's like giving birth to a child, something that's really a creation of your own, and you're like, I don't. If the world doesn't accept my creation, you know that's going to be heartbreaking. Even though I've made like hundreds of paintings before that. They weren't really the deepest parts of me, and I, I was really mm. afraid if people were not going to be receptive. And so I guess I'm thankful because I, I would have been heartbroken, to be honest. <laughs> I think it has this element of because you're creating these pieces on these breathtaking pieces of earth, uh, people who don't have a background in art, people who have kind of, you know, who maybe don't go to the Met on a Saturday, <laughs> have are, have this unique ability to look at that and feel connected to it I think in a way that they may not have the chance if they're if they're looking at I guess you know a a Rembrandt painting it has this element of we've all been in nature we've all felt that feeling that you feel when you're just surrounded by breathtaking atmosphere and when you when you look at at your work you of course it's not it's not simply the earth it's also this added layer that you're adding to it but i think it kind of has the ability to cut through to someone who may not be that familiar or comfortable in the art world to kind of actually just look at something really beautiful and think about it i love that you say that and it's yeah you're at, there is this yeah you're absolutely right and it's sort of the reason why also like i was going in the direction of street art it was sort of the you know the, the fact that anyone could you know, see and, and take in a mural on a wall and be moved by it. And it's sort of, you know, free art, right? And so, I mean, of course, it's different in this context. I'm just generally, you know, sometimes I'm the only one who sees the work. But yeah, I think, yeah, it's been, yeah, amazing that a lot of people who just, yeah, appreciate and have had, you know, these sort of, as we can say, thin space moments, these like really profound moments in nature, which is because that's what we're from the earth. Like that's, so when we talk about like, I, I think so many of the woes and issues in society right now, and when I feel like just detuned, when I feel like off, it's because I haven't spent time in nature. I haven't, I just haven't been in my natural habitat. That that's, I mean, thousands upon thousands of years. This is this is where we're from. So it's like, and this it's been. I mean, this is an incredible time now with the technology and everything. But like, we're so detached from. Yeah, we're so detached from our origins. And that's, I think, just resulted in so, so much, so many conditions, mental, physical, just so many ailments. And so it's possible that when someone, someone sees the work, especially because I do portraits and they see some, like a figure looking introspectively on the nature, sort of being one with nature, uh, I and, and that's sort of one of the main key themes in the work, of course, then hopefully they, they you know, th there's this you know, it pulls somewhere deep within them that it's like, this is what we're, this is what we're meant for. This is what we're meant to, you know, we're meant to be in, in, in tune with our natural environment and we're not. And so that might trigger an emotional response. Well, thank you so much for, um, for coming today and talking to me about your life, um, and your art. What is kind of the best way for people to, who are interested in your artwork to kind of, yeah, what's the, the next step that you would give to them, um, if they're interested in you and, and your art? Yeah, totally. I mean, of course, if you just Google, Google my name, website comes up, my Instagram account, but I'm actually like, I'm really passionate about helping other artists and also getting people out in nature. And so I'm actually developing 
I'm developing a, I guess right now, the working title is just like Apopa Academy. And I have two other, I have two online courses, but I'm trying to create sort of like a holistic place where people can come and as artists to be able to find the why behind their work, find their guiding star, and uh, and also be able to kind of, I, I share, you know, how they can also work and make art in nature. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, it's not ready yet, but uh, I'm, I'm collecting, you know, names for people that are interested in, uh, in, in learning more about that. Yeah, so I guess people uh, won't have to spend as much time as you did kind of Googling <laughs> how to create earth pigments. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> Well, I will share the link to that um, in uh, the show notes for this episode. So anyone who's interested uh, can click through to that. And um, yeah, I'll share your website and your Instagram as well. I really recommend going to uh, David's Instagram to look at all the uh, the works of art that we were talking about, um, because you can hear about it all day, but without actually um, putting an image to it. <laughs> It could be a bit hard to understand. Um, yeah, well, thanks so much, David, again. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. All right, have a good one. That's all for today. I hope that interview gave you a bit of insight into one artist's journey and the meaning behind his work. Like I said, you can view everything we referenced in the show notes. That's on alexandrakitkasharp.com. You can also find David at davidpopaart.com, and I've included the link to the interest page for his course uh, in the description as well. If you like hearing this kind of content, please save this podcast and rate it if you can. That really helps, especially at the beginning of a new podcast. See you next time.